Now, in the Christian calendar, the 40 days in front of Easter is called the period of Lent. And during Lent, we really, we think about the sufferings of Christ and we prepare ourselves for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And this year during Lent in our church, we've been, we've been looking together at something called the, the remedy, that is the cross of Christ. And how the cross of Christ transforms things. Last week, Pastor Shane did a great job talking about bitterness, and we've talked about how the cross changes our sense of feeling worth and and value in our lives. Today, I want to show you how the cross transforms our understanding of suffering. I want to talk to you today about how the suffering Savior can help. And uh, I want to... uh, invite you to, if you haven't printed out notes, uh, you're somewhere where you can actually open your Bible. Uh, We're going to look at some verses out of 1 Peter, because the the book of 1 Peter, one of the great things about it, uh, we we spent some time in this earlier uh, this year already, but some of the the great things that you find in 1 Peter have to do with attitudes and how we handle suffering. And so I want us to look at some passages. First Peter chapter one, and beginning at verse five, Peter says this, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, that means at the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that that Peter says here that's really different about the idea of suffering is that he says that God sees us going through suffering and he sees it like gold being refined. It's valuable, valuable to him to see how we go through suffering. Now, let's think for a few moments about our experience of difficulty and pain and suffering. And and I know that, you know, this isn't something that, frankly, we like to talk about much, but uh, the reality is we experience it much. In fact, uh, I've listed on your notes, if you have printed those out, uh, a listing. It's certainly not an exhaustive uh, kind of a catalog, but some of the major ways in which people can experience suffering. And uh, so, you know, notice some of those. Loss and loneliness and uh, illnesses and disease you know, the, the first two have to do with our mind and our emotions, and the next illness and disease has to do with, with our body. Also depression or uh, other kinds of mental health issues. People who experience chronic pain. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell you that the, the people who touch me the most, that I admire the most, are the people who, with faith and courage, deal with depression and deal with chronic pain. Um, that, that just speaks to me personally. But then there's consequences of bad choices. And my goodness, there are some people who are suffering with a load of guilt and remorse and regret that frankly is as painful as any physical pain that somebody can go through. Or physical disability. 
maybe as a result of a, of a birth uh, defect uh, that happened, or uh, maybe you know someone's had an accident or had a stroke, and now they're living with a permanent physical disability. You think that there's not suffering in that. You need to open your eyes and open your heart, or, or feelings of rejection or betrayal, sometimes by a person, sometimes by a system that we feel betrayed by, or financial hardships that people can go through. The experience of poverty itself can be a kind of suffering, abuse, neglect, discrimination, persecution, broken, estranged relationships. Man, there's another one that causes people a lot of hurt. Now, again, this isn't an exhaustive kind of list, but it just helps you to kind of put in your mind, you know, what we're, what we're talking about. And if, if I could say it this way, I'd be willing to bet that every person who's hearing my voice right now is experiencing pain at some level in your life. Years ago, a preacher said something that stuck with me when I was beginning ministry. He was talking to preachers and he said, fellas, he said, always preach to broken hearts and you will never lack having an audience. And I think that is really, really true. Now, when we think about our experience of difficulty and pain and suffering, four truths I'd like to emphasize off the top here. First of all, we try avoiding them at all costs. And uh, my goodness, that list that I just went through, those are things that we just say, man, try to stay out of that if at all possible. This, again, is a subject we would really rather not talk about. But you know, the thing is, Jesus didn't avoid talking about pain and suffering. In fact, I appreciate so much that he didn't come and live inside some kind of a protective bubble that, that, that kept him away from all of the experiences of suffering that could happen as a matter of fact, he walked straight into it. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's a Sunday that we recognize Jesus coming to the city of Jerusalem knowing that suffering and abuse and death on a cross was awaiting him. Second, we often carry misbeliefs uh, about, about our, our suffering and, and our difficulties. Suffering always leaves us a little bit confused. And it's because some of the ideas that we're having and holding and, and the notions that we carry, in, in other words, sometimes we, we tell ourselves, well, you know, uh, if, if, if I were doing good, I shouldn't have any difficulty or problems. And so therefore, if, if problems or difficulty or suffering or pain come in, it must be that I'm doing something wrong. And, uh, and we, we have this expectation that somehow life is supposed to cruise along without any pain or difficulty or suffering, as if life itself should be relatively painless. And we tell ourselves, well, I, I must, if I'm suffering, it must be because I don't have enough faith, or it must be that I've done something wrong. And if not, if we can't see that we've done anything wrong, then we begin to feel this is totally unfair for me to experience this. And honestly, sometimes our suffering even gets worse. Now, I will just tell you that that's not Christian thinking. That's Hinduism. That's the idea of karma, that, that you know, I've got to, everything I go through, I just got to go through it because I'm sort of paying, uh, getting paid back by God for the wrongs that, that I've done. But I, I want to tell you that isn't, that isn't what Christianity teaches. In fact, Jesus of Nazareth blows up the whole idea 
that living in an ideal life means that you're never going to suffer because Jesus was the ideal perfect humanity, the son of God come to live as a human being and the Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Here's a third truth about our sufferings and pain and that is that we don't develop fully apart from them. In fact, Peter in the verse that we read just a moment ago says, for a short time if necessary, you're suffering griefs from various kinds of trials in your life. And, uh, and the word trials and troubles he's talking about there is it means you're, you're, being, you're being tested, you're being developed by something. And, and I'd be willing to bet, I've said this many times, if we were to stop and just start asking people listening to this uh, message right now to, to, to tell us, you know, when's the greatest time of development and growth that happened in your life? I'd be willing to bet it also was one of the more difficult times in your life, one of the more painful, because we really don't develop very well and we can't develop fully apart from it. You know, some of us, uh, you know, we're trying to get in shape after COVID and, you know, I'm, that's certainly happening for me. I'm trying to pay better attention to uh, my health. I've been collecting some stuff, uh, all kinds of different apps about exercise and stuff. And I came across one the other day that I was uh, reminded of, and I'd seen this before, but it was uh, the Marine Corps exercise regimen for people over 60. And I paid attention to that because I'm over 60. And uh, so, you know, l- let me just give this to you. This is an amazing uh, kind of a thing. The Marine Corps exercise regimen for those over 60. Begin by standing on a comfortable surface where you have plenty of room on each side. Then holding a five-pound potato bag in each hand, extend your arms straight out from your sides and keep them extended there as long as you can. Try to reach a full minute and then relax your arms at your sides. Gradually increase, do this every day, and gradually increase the length of time each day that you can hold that position until you can do it for a full five minutes. And each day, you're gonna find that you're gonna be able to hold it just a little bit longer. After two weeks, move up to a 10-pound potato bag. Then after that, try a 30-pound potato bag and eventually work up to where you can lift a 100 pound potato bag for one minute. Now this is the Marine Corps, okay? And then it says, and after you're feeling confident at that level, put one potato in each bag. Now, I I got you guys on that one. Uh, You know, the reality is that's the way we want to develop. We want it to be easy on us, but God says you're never really going to grow you're never really gonna develop without it. Romans chapter five, verse three says this. We can be full, I love how the Phillips translation of the New Testament puts this. We can be full of joy here and now, even in our trials and troubles, because notice, underline this next statement. Taken in the right spirit, these very things will give us patient endurance. And this in turn will develop a mature character And a character of this sort produces a steady hope, a hope that will never disappoint us. Now, it's it's probably no surprise to you that this issue of suffering and pain and why God allows the world to experience suffering and pain, this is one of the biggest objections that 
atheists and agnostics have to Christian faith. And really, it, it, it goes at this whole misbelief that we were talking about, that somehow our world really ought to be free of pain and suffering. And I, I want to say that, you know, God has permitted the evil to be in the world. There's natural evils, there's supernatural evil, there's human evil that is part of the suffering that we have. But I want to say to you that the world is exactly the kind of place where God can achieve the purposes that he has for our lives to be developing us and growing us. And it's amazing how we will not develop fully apart from suffering. It just isn't gonna happen. I wanna tell you, God allows pain and suffering, but he never wastes it. He always has a redemptive purpose for it. He's always wanting to build us up, not break us down, to develop us not to destroy us. I was, I was reading a psychologist the other day and they were talking about, there's a, a new term of grit. And they, That's a new term, grit? Having grit? Man, I remember watching True Grit, you know, John Wayne movie back in the 60s. And, and uh, the, the reality is the only way we get grit is going through difficulty. And then there's a fourth truth I wanna remind you of and it's this. We're never ever alone in them. Now, it usually feels like we're all alone in our experiences of suffering and pain, but we're not, ever. Because God sees and he knows and he feels everything that we're going through in our lives. I love this verse from Isaiah chapter 63, verse nine, where it says this, in all their suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them up and he carried them through all the years. Now, so you ought to circle both of the alls. In all their suffering, he suffered. And he carried them through all the years. One of the Psalms actually says that God collects our tears in a bottle. He's very aware of our pain. And this is such a beautiful imagery from Isaiah 63. You know, this is the imagery of a parent caring for their children. And I can just tell you as a parent, as a grandparent, you know, there's, there's a saying that a parent's only as happy as their most unhappy child. And, um, and there's, it's really true that when our children hurt, we hurt. Our grandkids hurt, we hurt. And that's because we're made in the image of a God who has a heart for us and he loves us. And he says, we're never, ever alone them. And in fact, in Hebrews 13, five, it actually says that. Notice this next verse. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And I went back and I, I looked at what the actual literal Greek is in this. And listen to how the Greek actually puts this verse. Not never will you I leave. Not never will you I forsake. Now, if a kid spoke like that, you'd be correct in his grammar, but it's put that way in the Greek text because God is emphatic that we are never alone. You know, I don't know why it is that we're drawn so much to World War II and some of the people who've gone through that 
couple weeks ago, Pastor Shane was talking about Corey Ten Boom, who you know, had to go through a Nazi concentration camp. And I think it's maybe because in the 20th century, there was so much evil that happened. And probably World War II, unlike a time that we've ever seen, where there was so much evil and millions of people who suffered and, uh, and who died. And one of the heroes that came out of that period of time is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor, and because of his resistance to Adolf Hitler, the Gestapo put him in a concentration camp where he lived for, for three years, and then uh, he was hung just about two weeks at Flossenburg concentration camp in, in Bavaria, about two weeks before the Allies uh, liberated that particular camp. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is known for a bunch of letters that he wrote. And in one of those letters that he wrote from prison where he, he talks some amazing theology. He was a brilliant theological mind. One day he just made the comment, only the suffering God can help me. Only the suffering God can help me. And it was because of this truth we've just looked at that in all of our afflictions, he's afflicted. I want to tell you about another young German who went through the war. A, a guy who later became a theologian. His name is Jürgen Moltmann. And Jürgen Moltmann at age 18 was conscripted into the German army. And uh, in February of 1945, he was, uh, he was captured. He was a Nazi soldier. He was captured. And then for three years in Belgium, Scotland, and England was held in prison camps before he was finally repatriated in 1948 to Germany. And I, I, read, a, I read an article that he wrote the other day. He's still living. In fact, he's 94. He's professor emeritus at Tübingen University in, in uh, the areas of theology. And, and I read this article he wrote, and he talked about how he completely felt God forsaken when he was in this prison camp. He says, I'd lost all hope and all interest in life. The dark night of the soul came upon me and I felt that last temptation of all who feel imprisoned to give myself up, to die in death of the soul first and then death of the body. And you know, there's some of you right now, you're maybe going through an experience of suffering. You can identify with what he's saying because you feel like you're just dying inside. You feel hopeless and you feel helpless. But things begin to change for him. First through a Bible he shares, and then through the kindness of Scottish workers and their families toward the prisoners. The first began at the end of 1945, he said, when a well-meaning army chaplain handed a Bible to the prisoners. And he, and he writes, I'm going to just read what he has to say. Because I came from a secular family in Hamburg, this was the first Bible in my life. And some of us wondered about them and would have rather had a few cigarettes, but I started reading without much interest until I stumbled on the Psalms of Lament. Psalm 39 held me spellbound, where the psalmist says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace and my sorrow was stirred. I have to eat my suffering within myself. My lifetime is as nothing in your sight, O God. I am a stranger with you a sojourner, as all my fathers were. And Moltmann writes, they were the words of my own heart 
that the psalmist was crying out to God. And then he says, later I, I read the Gospel of Mark and I came to the story of the suffering on the cross of Jesus and his death cry where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I thought to myself with certainty, this one understands your suffering. He understands you. He understood me in my God forsakenness because Jesus is the divine brother in distress who takes the prisoners with him on the way to resurrection and life. And so I began to summon the courage to live again seized by a great hope. This early fellowship with Jesus the brother in suffering and redeemer from guilt has never left me since. And I'm sure that there and then in the dark pit of my own soul, he found me. Jesus, God forsakenness on the cross showed me where God is in my forsakenness, where he had been all my life before and where he would be in the future. The suffering God saved me in my suffering. Only the suffering God can help. In fact, let's, let's talk a little bit about Jesus and our levels of suffering. If I can point this out to you before we uh, hear somebody share a story that's amazing about this. In fact, uh, let me just read from, from 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says some more things about suffering that I think are really valuable. Notice them there on your notes. 1 Peter 4 verses 12 to 16 and verse 19. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then goes in verse 16, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. And then he sums it up this way. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. I wanna say to you that there are four ways in which we experience Jesus and suffering together in our life. And if you will, these are four levels. Would you write these down real quickly? First is that, that we're to experience suffering and we're to face it like Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is that because we're not to be surprised at suffering, I mean, that is the human condition. Like Jesus, we're to face it with courage and with poise in our life. That's level one. Level two is that we bear it for Jesus. And that's what Peter is talking about here. In other words, he's saying, frankly, it's because of Jesus that some suffering has come into the lives of these he's writing to. They were being persecuted for being Christians. And, and he says, you know what? If that happens to you, that because of Jesus and your faith in him, you have to suffer, rejoice. Realize you're blessed in that. That God is is going to help you uh, in that. And, and I want to say that, you know, we don't see it that way. In fact, honestly, there's a lot of people when they start experiencing suffering for being a Christian, they back off from Christianity. 
If, if we were to, to be persecuted for being Christians, we'd be looking to hire attorneys, not to rejoice in them and feel blessed. And yet he says that, you know what? This is, this is part of it. And then third, we share in it with Jesus. Now this is a third level of suffering that frankly a lot of Christians never allow themselves to, to get to. But what he's saying is that, that Jesus is still suffering in love for a world that he cares about. And so we literally share in the sufferings of Jesus as we allow, as one man put it, our hearts to be broken with the things that break the heart of God. That God cares about people and he loves people. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 25 where Jesus said, did you care for the hungry? Did you care for the poor? Did you care for the imprisoned? Because you see, Jesus' heart breaks for these people. The Apostle Paul talked about sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings so that I might know rejoicing in his resurrection. But then there's a fourth level and that is that we endure it in Jesus. And this is the deepest level in which we can experience suffering. See, Christianity in its essence is a supernatural connection that is personal with Jesus Christ. It is a living union spiritually in him that we literally don't just believe in him, but we believe into him. Scripture uses the language that in our baptism, we're being baptized into Jesus and into his life. And so literally, everything that we go through, we go through it. In Jesus. Jesus put it this way, John 16, when he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the world. Now, notice that. Not you might have suffering, but you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous because I've conquered the world. Jesus says that in me, in me, you can go through suffering and find peace and find courage and find hope. There's a guy in our church that's doing that right now, a guy named Jeff Range. And in fact, recently he sat down and shared with us about an experience of suffering that, that God's called him to walk a path in right now. I want you to just listen for the next few minutes to Jeff as he shares our, his story with us by video. Watch this. I had one friend that said, you know, like, like people go to Christ when something tragic happens. So I didn't want that to be like my story. You know, like I, I wanted it to be like, I just experienced this, something that, you know, comes across to me and, and grabs me. And um, basically that's what happened. I remember I was driving in my car and I said, God, I hope, you know, something tragic doesn't happen to me before I figure out, you know, what I'm gonna do and like, am I gonna come to Christ? And like a couple of days after that, I was driving in the mountains and um, <laughs> believe it or not, I hit a horse. <laughs> and that's what brought me to Christ. Like, it was a tragedy for my car, but for me, like nothing happened. All I had was glass in my um, hands and my arm. 
But I couldn't deny that, you know, like I was going to, what am I going to do? Keep saying, you know, oh, that was a coincidence. You know, normally that's how I would look at everything, you know, it was a coincidence. But that was like too much. You know, I had just asked God, you know, I hope something tragic doesn't happen. Then like the next day I called Pastor Steve and I was like, Pastor Steve, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> you know, you know, life's not going to be perfect, you know. Like, I did grow up having a pretty simple life. Like, I never broke a bone. I was never in the hospital. In April 2018, I was feeling really bad and, like, pain, pain in my legs and grouchy. And I went to the doctor and, you know, I said, something's not right. You know, I don't feel, feel right, you know. And my body, everything looked normal, you know. I mean, I was the same weight. I just was having pain that I couldn't figure out what was going on. I go to C-Care and they diagnosed me with a multiple myeloma, which is a, a bone marrow cancer. So it likes, you know, it's starting like in the building blocks of my body, you know, and it's like, it was hard to like believe it, you know, cause I was like, you know, I thought I was doing everything right, you know, and, and he said, it's just one of those things that happens, you know, like our bodies, sometimes they just do things. January of this year, I had a seizure, which was the first time I've ever had one. My hand cramped up and it felt like, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't even get my hands in there to like undo it. And it, it went through my whole body. And like I walked to the family room and my wife and my son were in there. And I asked her, you know, to just massage my arm. And they were looking at me and my son was like, I could tell like, Something was really wrong because the way he was looking at me and, you know, he put the Nintendo down and he was looking at me and, and I felt this feeling like, like, I felt like that was it, you know, like I wasn't going to make it. And my wife said, um, let's pray for him. So my wife and my son were praying for me. And it was, it was amazing because like I was laying on the ground with like this pain and and I listened to their prayer and like right after their prayer, like all the pain went away. Like I just felt this peace and I was laying there and and just thinking, you know, like how amazing that was, you know, that they prayed for me. And right after they prayed for me, like I was just at peace, you know, and I, my eyes are open and I couldn't move my arm. Like I was trying to lift up my arm and I couldn't move it, but I knew, you know, that God was there, you know, so it was awesome. Um, you know, the, the pain wasn't awesome, but the fact that, you know, that that prayer like totally changed the whole situation. Psalm 119.71, and it, it says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. You know, like it, it helps me because I have trouble like grabbing the Bible and reading it, you know, but with what's going on in my life, that that does help me, you know, to want to get into the Word more, you know, because I'm like, you know, what am I going to do, you know, like I need to know, you know, what it says, what the Word says, you know, and I think that's what he's trying to tell me is that, you know, like get into my Word so you know, you know, what it says. You know, I'm like living this life and it's like, yeah, you know, I had this easy life but you know when that time comes you know when you're gonna take your last breath you know it's like how sad 
if you die and then, and then that's it, you know. Before I accepted Christ, I was kind of living for me. I mean, I always tried to help people, but I was always thinking like, what, what can I do, you know, for myself, you know, like, I, you know, I want to get this, I want to do that, I want to, and after I accepted Christ and when I started spending more time, you know, around church and with the pastors and with people, I was thinking about how can I help them, you know, like, I guess I, I see people, you know, in different settings and groups, people that have problems, I feel like I want to help them, you know, like, you know, there's a way to fix this, you know, like, you know, drinking and drugs and whatever people are into is just, um, that's the easy way out, you know, like, because it's easy to go do all those things, you know, or it's easy to be addicted to video games, you know, it's easy to do all that stuff, but, you know, the hard part is fixing what's wrong inside, like, why, why are you doing all those things? And so I feel like that's, like, one of the most important things, you know, is getting, is helping people to be able to fix their problems and the best place to fix them is here, <laughs> you know, let God fix your problems, you know. Man, I appreciate so much Jeff being willing to tell us uh, about his own story. And I want to tell you that his story is ongoing. Uh, Jeff's right now at St. Agnes Hospital at another, um, another experience that came up this week. In fact, uh, just one week ago, we weren't certain, is he even going to make it? And people have been praying for him. In fact, when I close this message in a few moments, I want us to have a special time of prayer for Jeff. But I appreciate his willingness to share. Now, I want to close uh, this time just giving you some quick practical stuff here. And, and, uh, and it's like, how do you get through an ordeal? When, you, when you're actually in the arena of suffering, because that's the language that Peter used. Don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal that's come to test you. How do you get through it? In fact, there's a couple of other passages real quick. Notice on your notes here from from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, for it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. See, there are times that you, f- you try to flee from suffering. There are times that you fight against suffering. But then there are times when you just have to flow with it and you've got to trust God. And that's where a consciousness of God helps us to endure it. And then he goes on to say, when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Notice twice he said, he's, he's talked about favor with God. What he's saying is, because God sees your endurance like gold, it's precious to him. And he blesses you in it. If you endure, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And yet when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges 
justly. Four things. Would you just write these? Five things. Would you write these down? Number one, reframe how you're looking at it. And what I mean is, when you're going through a difficulty, when you're going through a, a, an experience of suffering and, a, and some painful problem, you need to reframe how you're looking at it. Because you're conscious of God in it, taken in the right spirit, what you're going through, you shouldn't be shocked or surprised at it. You shouldn't feel confused that you know somehow God is against you or life is against you. No, you're, you're going through it. And God just says, I, I want you to go through it with faith. So you reframe how you're looking at it. Because sometimes the way we're seeing a problem is the problem, especially when we begin telling ourselves about a problem or an experience of suffering that uh, it says something about us as persons or about our situation or about our future. By the way, psychologists call this cognitive restructuring when we're going through a period of suffering and difficulty. And I will tell you, one of the things that helps me to begin to reframe it is something I heard years ago. Pray it up until you can play it down. Lift it up to God, pray it up to him until you're, you can begin to see it from his perspective and then you're able to play it down and realize, you know what, God's bigger than this. Number two, refrain from your negative reactions to it. See, one of the things that happens when difficulty and suffering comes is that our negative reactions, especially when there's a clear target of our pain or our suffering, we want to act out in destructive ways or in anger or in frustration. Sometimes we've seen this. We, we talk about people going off the rails or people losing it. Or we, we give in and compromise in some kind of a way because of pain, thinking, as Jeff was talking about, this will help to ease it. Or we just try to give up. And what I'm saying is that those are all negative, destructive kinds of reactions. He says... Let your consciousness of God help you to endure. In fact, I love what this verse says that when Jesus was going through excruciating pain on the cross, people were reviling him. And can you imagine what that would be like? People who were nailed on the cross, they were spitting at others and calling curses on the people who were, who were watching them because they were in such agonizing pain. And yet Jesus... When people were mocking him, he wasn't mocking back. In fact, we've just read this verse. In fact, look at, look at what it actually says uh, as it's coming up on the screen for you here. It says that when he was insulted, not just that he did not insult, but literally he was not insulting in return. It was a present active kind of a verb here. He didn't threaten when he, was, when he suffered. He didn't threaten. He wasn't threatening but he was entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Refrain from negative reactions. And then third, rejoice in God's goodness despite it. You know, uh, in fact, it's kind of interesting. Right, right across the page from where you're writing that point, Peter uses a verse and says, in the midst of our suffering, twice he says, rejoice. And he talks about being blessed in our suffering and finding favor in our suffering. And what I want to say to you that despite how dangerous and how difficult 
the planet is that we're living on, man, at least 90% of the time, it's a pretty incredible ride. And God is always giving us goodness. And one of the things that helps us to get through is to stay focused on the good things that are in my life that I can rejoice in. It helps to begin to reframe it for us. In fact, Psalm 23, verse six, in the context of, uh, you familiar with that Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, and the context of it talking about dangers and facing enemies and being in the shadow of death, he says, but goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you know, the reality is that when we're going through suffering, we can see bad things and we can see good things. It's like a railroad track and there's two rails of it and one rail is bad stuff and one rail is blessing and goodness. And what I'm saying is it helps to focus on the good things, to ask ourselves, what can I be grateful for? Because no matter what our life experiences is, goodness and mercy are always with us. One last passage from 1 Peter. Notice that's on your notes there. 1 Peter 5, it says, so humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. He feels the afflictions that you feel. And then he goes on to say, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and establish and strengthen and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. That means to him be the kingdom, the glory. God's the one who's in charge of all the ground and trust him. Man, what a great promise. In fact, the last two things, if you'll write this down, what he's saying is rely on his presence and purpose and power over your suffering and difficulty. That you can rely on the fact you're not alone in it. Never, ever are you alone in it. And God, in fact, is allowing it to come into your life for a purpose. And his purpose for you is always greater than any circumstances, friend, you're ever going to face. In fact, Jesus says, you're going to outlast every problem you're ever going to have. Because he's in your life. Rely on his presence, his purpose and his power over it because the bigger your God, the smaller your problem. That God is the greater reality in your life. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 said this, three times I begged the Lord for it to leave me. He's talking about an experience of suffering and difficulty and pain. He called it a thorn in his flesh. Probably some physical kind of an ailment. So he says three times I begged for God for it to leave me. Haven't you done that before? But his reply has been, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. For where there is weakness, my power is shown more completely. Therefore, he says, I have cheerfully made up my mind. See, that's what we call reframing, to be proud of my weaknesses because they mean a deeper experience of the power of Christ. I can even enjoy weakness and suffering and privations and persecutions and difficulties. My very weakness makes me strong in him. And I never read that statement. My very weakness makes me stronger in him when I'm suffering that I'm not reminded 
of driving across Hoover Dam, as you see coming up in this picture, Hoover Dam on the Colorado River between you know, uh, Nevada and Arizona. When it was built in the 30s, it was built as something called an arch gravity dam. And that means it's designed in such a way that it's into the bedrock that is around it. And you see, when the waters come in behind it, as you see in this next picture, as the, as the waters come in, literally what it does by design is it pushes the dam deeper into the rock. So the more pressure from behind, the stronger that dam becomes. So I rely on his presence and his power and his purpose over it all. And then finally, number five, rest in the arms, holding you throughout it. Because friend, you are not alone in it. You are being guarded by God for a salvation that he's bringing in the future. And it is just going to be a short time that he says, I'm going to carry you through this. And remember that it's the everlasting arms that are under you and that are carrying it. I love again that verse from Isaiah 63 we looked at just a few minutes ago. And all their suffering he suffered and he lifted them up and he carried them throughout all their years. Friend, God's carrying you and he's helping you. And if you'll trust him, he'll get you through the ordeal that you're going through. Now I want to close here and I just want to, I want to invite you to pray with me for our friend Jeff Range. In fact, if I, could, if I could have added a sixth point to our sermon today, it would have been much too long if I had. It would be recycle it for someone else. Because God never wastes pain. And it's amazing to me that our friend Jeff, this week we said, you know, Jeff, we're supposed to be sharing your story. I mean, um, are you still comfortable with us showing that video? He said, oh yeah, man, if it can help somebody else, that'd be great. I mean, he's weak, hardly could breathe. He's getting better than he was a week ago, but he's still in the thick of it. And here he is trying to use his pain to help somebody else. My friend, some of you may have been through such horrific experiences in life. The only way you're ever gonna find peace with them is seeing how God can recycle it to help somebody else like he's done with Jeff. Would you join me in praying for him right now? Lord, I want to thank you for the truths we've looked at today. And I want to pray for our brother Jeff and pray for his family, for his children, for his wife, Veronica. And I want to ask, Lord, that you, you just help our brother. He is in an ordeal right now. I thank you that even from his hospital bed was talking about your goodness and your strengthening of him. And so God, we're praying for that. We, we just together, collectively, want to lift up our prayers to you, asking you to restore his strength and health. I pray that, Lord, you'd help him to get, get beyond uh, this, this cancer situation that he is dealing with in his life and help him, lift him up, I pray. To your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.